This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by ComicBookClick.com. That's it, people. ComicBookClick.com is the one stop for all things Comic Book Click, our merchandise, our articles, and every single episode of the Major Issues Podcast. Visit ComicBookClick.com and remember, you, yes, you are worthy. Everybody out there in comic book land, my name is George Serrano, aka The Don, and if you're listening to this, you can only be here for one reason, and that's a brand new episode of the Major Issues Podcast, brought to you by ComicBookClick.com, and as always, I am never alone, sir, please introduce yourself. I'm Dan, the comic book man, everybody. Dan, the comic book man is here, uh, or as here as he can be, with everything still going on as it is. I was a bit grumpy on the last episode of this podcast. But I think for good reason. I think we're all slowly going mad with everything that's happening. And uh, I actually believe that the best thing to do in that moment was be vulnerable to the listeners of the Major Issues podcast. Because I was feeling vulnerable, Dan, you know. Um, This past weekend uh, was another sucker punch of life. Because my longtime friend, uh, Mikey, my, my turtle passed away this weekend after eight uh-huh. years um, so, yeah it was kind of weird going to your visit you know coming to visit you on sunday and no mikey by the window no today care. was the first day that i came home from work and there was no mikey in the window i was like oh i didn't think it'd still feel that way but yeah you know um it was rough um and then the the day that it happened i did my best to not be gloomy about it you know when pets pass it's um, it's one of those things that you get so used to them that they become kind of a part of your life. And when they are gone, you don't really know how to act or respond. So I try to do my best to keep my spirits afloat and, and be entertained. I try to watch some of the DC fandom panels. And this was going to be a fandom episode if a, a lot of news dropped. But there actually wasn't a ton of news that ended up dropping. And so um, I ended up, you know, just trying to like distract myself, play music, etc. And um, I ended up drinking a lot and going to sleep. Um, And I had a dream. I had a dream that I was in a, uh, I'm assuming, um, long-standing relationship with somebody. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but have you ever had a dream with somebody, but there's like really no face there? Or maybe you forget it by the time you wake up? Every girl I've ever dreamed of, every dream girl I've ever dreamed of, never had a face, just a hair color and a body stature. Right. No skin, no skin color or face. She just had hair and a. she was a silhouette. Right. She was a silhouette with a wig. Right. And so, like, I remember just being very happy. I remember being a very affectionate. Um, again, you don't ask many questions when it's a dream. Uh, but then I woke up. And I felt two things. One, I felt a little weird because it felt very real. And two, I felt a little embarrassed that I, in that moment, I thought it was real. Or you know how sometimes you feel conscious in your dreams. I felt like I was living 
a world in which those things were real, but there obviously wasn't. Um, and it was a combination of those feelings that reminded me of the story that we're going to tackle today and has really given me another level of appreciation for the, the actions that take place in it. Um, initially, I had thought, and this is if you go back, if you go to comicbookclick.com and if you go to From the Desk of the Dawn, this blog that I was writing on Sundays, I had covered um, Superman Annual Number 11, the story called For the Man Who Has Everything, which is the main event of this um, podcast today. We're going to talk about For the Man Who Has Everything. We're going to talk about For the Girl Who Has Everything. We're going to talk about For the Man Who Has Everything's animated debut. And then we're going to finish things off with the continuation of that story very recently i was surprised when doing the research for this that literally a week ago two weeks ago they have just revisited this story so everything just seemed uh perfect as you will when it comes to this kind of stuff uh but i guess i'll ask uh, um you know up front how much of this were you aware of of the things i asked you to cover at the very last minute <laughs> um and Besides getting into super spoilers, what did you think of the material? Well, um, basically, for starters, I I remembered this episode, but I remember when I binged a long time ago. I binged Justice League and Justice League Unlimited because it was on uh, Netflix, right? Like 2012, Netflix had everything, and I so I binged both the Justice League shows, and it's still one of the greatest animated shows ever. Both their theme songs are just so magnificent. The <laughs> I don't know about listen, both. Listen, I think listen, there's one no, that's that's it, a head and shoulders no, above the rest. That no, first one, that. No. Listen, that one with that. It's no. It has it. It, it it's so. It, it's uh, how do you put? It's like. It's no, the other one is just a monta, an action monta. It's like basketball highlights number six. We're cooler. We have more people. We're but why didn't they just... I, could you imagine an animated opener like how Justice League opened but with the others? With Aquamans, the Green Lanterns, the Questions, the Huntresses? I couldn't see it. No. The reason why I couldn't see it is because I felt that theme song was specifically for our seven. Right. They were triumphant. They were bold. They were embedded in our culture that we grew up up before 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 avengers and all that we grew up with the justice league that was your child's hood heroes right so that theme song should only have been for them that theme song was so respectful and beloved the composer that made that theme song knew the, the power of our seven justice league members right but then when you want to add more people into it yeah you're gonna you're gonna get cooler you're gonna throw some rock and roll in there. You're gonna throw some guitars <sighs> and drums. Like, you know, we we got Canary and Wildcat. And I feel Quest. I feel gypped. I feel like I saw Man of Steel with Hans Zimmer, and then BVS with Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL, and then Justice League with Danny Elfman. That's how I felt. That's how I felt musically. <laughs> Things were going with that. Musically, that that's you. Were, listen, you were crazy. But, but revisiting it, do you have new eyes now with that episode? Revisiting it. Looking well, at it intensely? I saw first. I didn't read the comics. For, I didn't read Alan Moore's story. I didn't read the newer story. I, I watched specifically that episode first. Okay. I got that one out the way. And I was like, damn, this is, I mean, this is a pretty good episode. Poor guy's going through it on his birthday. 
Yeah. But I felt of everything I watched and read that had the light, the lightest of the emotional depth that that story really is. Right. Like there was, there was one scene after Superman gets free and he does his little speech. But other than that, like, you didn't get the inner monologues and you didn't have the you didn't get the inner monologues as in comics and you didn't get the 43 minutes of network television time as Supergirl. Mm-hmm. So in 21 minutes, what can you well, in 19 minutes? Because minus the, the theme song, what can you really tell of that story? You can just really show the basics. And it was good for what it was. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally dug it. It was just reading Alan Moore's story and even watching Supergirl's show, that's where the real emotional weight... Well, no, not even Alan Moore's. Really, the newer one. Yeah. The newer comic and Supergirl both gave me the the actual emotional depth I was looking for in that kind of story. Because you know how I am with with comics and, and shows. I love diving deep into them. Yes. And surprisingly enough, I think Supergirl gave me the best of them. Really? That's no. Was that I, your first time watching that uh, uh, that episode? That's my first time watching anything Supergirl. Okay. Were you, like, did, did, it, did, it, did it? Did it? Did it? Did it? Like scratch? You know, like scratch an itch? Do you have your eyebrow raised? Are you willing to oh, get into more? Oh, I have all eyebrows raised. Yeah. I have the hairs on the back of my neck standing up because straight up, Win is a, is better than Cisco. <laughs> oh, I like and I like Jimmy Olsen. I like Alex. We'll we'll, we'll get into we'll get into them. Uh, but I had the only 2016 when I think that series dropped. I had the only crush on Melissa Benoist in that in that suit, man. Bro, bro, when she got out of that coma and she was just like, "Who did this to me?" Right, bounced. I'm like, "Oh, oh, we going? Oh man, right." That 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 chick, Alex, her sister. Yes, she she gave me beautiful monologues. Oh, you got also Maxwell Lord was in that as well. Yep. Maxwell Lord's in the prison. Of his own, yeah. yeah. The, the hologram thing, the whole Inception thing. Right. Yeah. And I loved when she was in there trying to convince Kara to come back. And she's just like, you know, I can't promise you a life without pain because that is life. Life is pain. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, they were killing it, weren't they? They were killing <laughs> it. <laughs> no, they were killing it. Yeah. I'm like, damn. I'm like, this might be, that might be up there as top fucking Arrowverse shows. Yeah. Yeah, I know Greg's I'm a big, like, I, I know Greg's I, a big um fan of, it right now currently as far as uh, as part of the major issues podcast we've only uh covered um arrow and the crossovers we've not covered um any of the other cw shows you guys haven't even done you haven't even covered season ones of oh my no, god no i always have flash season one in the back of my mind because i love it <laughs> you know but it would be incredibly interesting for you to tackle Supergirl season one and see how that works. You know, we got other, other big things well, on the pipe. I already watched legends of tomorrow season one. So, and we'll, it, go, and we'll be covering right here on the podcast soon. Um, star girl season one. So, yeah, so I'll even jump, I'll jump into black lightning. I'll, I will jump into Batwoman cause I'm not going to lie. Good friend of mine that I work with every day. Yeah. He told me he liked the first three episodes of okay. Batwoman. After that, it kind of went like after him, but he said straight up, the first three episodes of Batwoman turned like raised his eyebrow, thinking that this was going to be a great show. That's pretty awesome. Then he said he kind of fell off after a while, but I might want to give it a chance myself. There's a lot of these shows I kind of want to just give a chance because after you know watching a whole season of Legends of Tomorrow, yeah, I might be able to, and liking this episode of Supergirl. I'm like, 
dude, if this is what I can expect from writing, acting, and just straight up like, yeah, there are some the there are some it, gems. There are some gems in that first season of Supergirl, uh, particularly um, the episode where Barry gets there for the first time. It's one of the first crossovers, uh, otherworldly crossovers, and just him in that world uh, is amazing. Um, yeah, and, the season one, it's not. It's not CW season one, right? That's NBC. That's CBS. I mean, CBS, yeah. Yeah, CBS season one and then season two. They get, it's funny because I think season two, like two of the major sets get like completely overhauled because CW is doing it. And it's just like, oh, no, we just moved to a bigger building. That, <laughs> like, yeah, that makes sense. That, that's my only fear of, of, of watching Supergirls because I know CBS. I know all these network shows writing. I, I know ABC writing. I know NBC writing. It's you can just if you've seen enough shows, you just know where they're going with it. So you know what I say? I what I say to that because I agree with you 100. percent But I think one of the things is I think just like how Marvel did uh, with the MCU, some of these characters I wrote off completely. Right? Like I there. If you asked me five years ago what I thought of the character of Supergirl, I'm like. She devalues everything that Superman is because his whole thing is he's the last son of Krypton. The fact that she exists is like some kind of weird retcon where they just want a girl version of her. You know, that's how I felt. Um, And after realizing how much of her own character she is, after falling in love with the universe as they dictated it was, it's very similar uh, when we'll get into it of like how Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series, how they educate those who don't have the time necessarily or the access to the stories. You know, and all of a sudden, you uh, are watching this show, and if you're curious about something, you'll Google it, and it's like, oh yeah, that debuted in 1980 in the comics. And you're like, oh, okay, wow. So this all does connect. This all does come from, come from someplace. It's rooted in the actual lore of the character. And um, good shows will do that. They'll be able to entertain you while educating you. On what's going on with everything. But let's get into... Uh, for, I mean, chronologically speaking, let's get into, for the man who has everything, the comic story. Um, it's Superman Annual Number 11, which came out in 1985. And it was written by Alan Moore with artist Dave Gibbons. And if that creative duo sounds familiar, it's because that is the duo behind Watchmen. And if I'm not mistaken... They've done, they've done a lot more together than just Watchmen and this. But I'm, I think that's their highest profile... Watchmen. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, and it, I, it comes out the same year as this, right? Or is this the year after? What's, given, I haven't, I haven't read Moore's run of Swamp Thing yet. That's been, that's been the it. one. <laughs> I love it. I want to read more than anything because I want to. I really want to cover it one day. Yeah. Did Gibbons do the artwork and lettering on that, or no? I gotta double check, but um, I know that I had asked Yogi about it because once the series had dropped, it's one of those things. Alan Moore's Swamp Thing is one of those things people speak about like hushed tones. They're like Alan Moore Swamp Thing, Alan Moore Swamp Thing. So I kept, like, I, I got behind um, Yogi with it. I'm like, hey, by the way, uh, you know, how, how, what's the best entry point? How should I just jump in it? And I had gotten like four, I think this, that entire story is about five volumes long. And um, I really dug it. I really, really dug it. I don't think Dave is on it, though. I see Alan Moore. Alan Moore's name is huge on this thing. Um, no, it's different artists. Maybe Dave eventually comes through, uh, but different artists so far. Yeah, yep, it's different artists, but but literally in big letters on the comic it says from the award-winning writer of Watchmen. <laughs> so they were trying to cash in on the on the notoriety at the very least. Um, 
and they were using they were using his ideas. Uh, what's interesting about this story is that it contains the first appearance of the Black Mercy, a plant we're going to be talking about a lot, uh, which is an extraterrestrial extraterrestrial plant like organism that, upon attaching parasitically to its victims, exhibits enjoyable hallucinogenic effects onto the victim's mind. The story has been adapted to television twice, where we'll be talking about it first. It's the same named episode of the animated TV series Justice League Unlimited, and then more loosely in, in For the Girl Who Has Everything, the episode of the live-action Supergirl TV series. The story was also nominated for the 1986 Kirby Award for Best Single Issue. And that's the, another reason why I wanted to cover it, is because that entire story, For the Man Who Has Everything, is one is, is one issue. And I think it's such a tight story, you know, like so it, it, it starts and it ends, but it has everything that you need. Um, and it's hard to do that in a single issue, especially w- when you're so used to being yeah, serialized. You have Alan Moore's novelized writing and every, you know, uh, narration box and every word bubble is like, you know, three inches long. I love how he chooses to name everything. everything. He names their vehicles. In Krypton, he names like what's on television. He, he calls names... their birthdays, first days, yeah, first they, days. Their, yeah. their seconds is units. There's a bunch of like there's a he fleshes all that out as he would. He totally would. You know, we read his uh, Miracle Man and Zorak and Corel and Zarvan and Divnar and like he's giving them Kryptonian name. Like it's he's literally yeah. You're like you're right. He's literally fleshing out their world. It's yeah, in um, one issue. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, just because he feels like doing it. Do you? Did you feel it was a very Alan Moore story when you were done reading? Oh it? hell yeah! Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. yeah, bro. Because think, think, think of how Alan Moore feels about superheroes. Now they're now he's covering Superman, right? And he's giving Superman an out, and then gives Batman an out. He totally makes this like this has got to be one of the most famous instances of like a vulnerable Superman, like a Superman who at least feels like something got closer to him than it should have. <laughs> and if anybody would have done something like that, it would have been more at that time. Right. Right. Especially in 1985, this might have come. This might have this single issue might have came out before Watchmen. If this came out like anywhere before what Watchmen come out, October, November, I think, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, if this came out any any time in like the early winter, spring, this would have been before he even covered Watchmen. He had it on his mind, though, how he felt about these superheroes and what they feared and what they want. Um, also, you, you could just tell with the the way the writing, not not just the, the lettering style, because obviously that's Gibbons, but you could just tell by the dialogue that's more dialogue. I, like, you know, you know, Tom King dialogue. Yeah, this was straight more dialogue. Right. Because now, now, especially when he when he got broken free and he's fighting Mon- Mongol, yeah. And now that there's that that narration of all, because I want there's no way I could even remember all of this. But you just see him just he's like punching down Mongol, yeah. There's there's narration bubbles that's going. I spit out suns, muscles shift like continental plates. <laughs> right, right, right. Under a, a, a hide of jaundiced leather. I, I was actually reading the comic on my uh, projector and my roommate came in and I was like, look at that. A hide of jaundiced leather. <laughs> That's how Alan Moore writes this. It's like, it's po- it's like poetry. But it was like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so great. 
Their amenity can only be measured in the skipped heartbeats of distant <laughs> perhaps both indestructible each other each, each damage each other like this is yeah. in a it's poetry like i said it, it, it's it's poetry it's poetry it using fictional characters um and trying to explain the gravitas of, of the entire situation um on the scale that only more can do honestly um so our story starts off a bit unusually as we follow who we know as Cal-El on a very unexploded Krypton as he comes home from work eager to see his wife and children. Nothing is yet explained about why Superman has a family or how he's on Krypton, but when he gets home, he's surprised to see that his family has thrown him a first day party. His family, including his uh, wife. Does he have a daughter? I know he has a son. It's just his wife and son, right? Car yeah, is there. His name is Orin. Yeah, Car, Car, Car is there. His name is, I thought his name was Van. No, the son's name is Van, but oh. I remember that there's a daughter because the, uh, what's his name, Jarrell makes a comment about his granddaughter and he calls her Laura. Okay. And he's like, oh, oh, that's right. Oh, I, I right, right. He's like, I thought you would have named her after your mother. Yes, yes, you're 100% right. No, you're 100% right. He has two kids. Oh, because one of them actually, it's funny, the daughter actually looks like Lois Lane in design. Yeah, it's crazy how they're messing with his mind like that. He has like onyx black hair, and like you, you, you can tell it's what a woman, what a daughter would look like if she was of Lois and Clark. And that's what I'm saying. Like this, this, um, this image that the Black Mercy is giving Superman is it just like Moore's writing is incredibly fleshed out. Like he not only is he coming home from work, but he remembers what he did at work. You know, like he's like, oh, it's been a long day at the whatever, the geologist, whatever the heck. He remembers his walk home. He remembers who his wife is, what his wife does for a living. Like this plant has seemingly thought of everything so that there wouldn't be any question as to like holes in the story or holes in the narrative. And, I, and I, it's so great because I knew what I was I knew what I was getting into the second I opened it. Like you see Superman annual uh that what's his name mongol behind and behind superman you swipe the second you swipe you see prologue and then you look down the first panel is just this big narration box yeah west of the city red evening light refracts through giant mesmas of that's what i'm saying he's trying to illustrate a, a, a planet we don't really know about krypton and he's trying to get us to feel like we're actually there just like how clark or cal actually but thinks that he's is, there but this is why Watchmen is the greatest comic book of all time and why it won all of its awards because you can take out every narration bubble and take all the, the dialogue out and put it on a piece of paper and you will still get a beautifully written novel. Yeah. Alan Moore writes novels. Yeah, definitely. And because that's why I like his different I, his different opinions on different superheroes to see how he can flesh them out. Um, it says that suddenly all of Cal's worries melt away as he's surrounded by the people that he loves. Um, he's just content. My man's happy. Um, at the Arctic Circle, Wonder Woman, Batman, and his new protege, Jason Todd, arrive to celebrate Superman's birthday with him at the Fortress of Solitude. Didn't Alan Moore kill Jason Todd? No. Uh, or was that Miller? Uh, I don't know who killed him. Alan Moore... Um, his big thing on Batman is the Killing Joke, so he I guess he shot Barbara Gordon. <laughs> if you want to if you want to run down his rap sheet, and he's the one who gave uh, Barbara 
you know, a different career. Oh, no, path. He's, he's, the, he's the one I knew he was. Who wrote Death in the Family? Is, I just didn't remember. I got to double check. But at this point, Robin had already been um, Robin for about two years. If that makes sense. Uh, that makes any sense? Yeah. Because this is 85, so. And it's funny because when she sees him, when the woman sees him, she's like, oh, I didn't. I didn't know it was a new person. I thought it was Dick. Um, Jim Aparo did the art for that, and Jim Starling wrote it. Jim Starling, the creator of, if I'm not mistaken, Thanos. Thanos. Uh, yeah, he wrote it. So, yeah, she's like, oh, you look just like uh, Dick Grayson, which I don't know if that's also a joke because, you know, Dick had left, depending on the continuity, had left or been fired from the role of Robin. And now we have Jason. And one of the initial um, things that people rubbed the wrong that rubbed them the wrong way about Jason was that he was a carbon copy of Dick. So it wasn't until a couple years later that they start to make him a blip like angsty and problematic to di- differentiate from being Dick Grayson. But I think he, I think it was up to the point that he maybe he even was in the circus as well. Like it was very like Xerox. Well, I mean, you know. I don't. I don't think it's too hard to find a, a white kid with black hair and a nice little jaw structure. Right, right. Um, but yeah, Jason is meeting one woman for the first time, and uh, she, like I said, she she thought it was Dick. Um, another thing I was thinking about was it is this like when your your boy or your a family member like your uncle brings home a new girlfriend, like you know, like oh, so you're not with the. Um, all right, I won't even ask. Like, they're all like, oh, so this is the new Robin? Like, yeah, all right. Well, whatever you say. <laughs> was a, that was a bit of an awkward introduction. It's like, oh, I'm so, I totally forgot. I You look so much like your, like your ex, like his ex. Like, Right, right. Imagine that. Could you imagine? It? Like, oh, is that Cynthia? Oh, no, this is Stacy. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought, I totally thought you were Cynthia. He used to go out with this girl that looked just like you. You know, like. <laughs> like, yeah. That, but but then again, yeah. Diana did grow up on a land of women, so it's like yeah, that's true. But then again, she's a woman, so she would she should know, you know, read a room. But <laughs> read now she don't give a damn, especially these two these two mortals. She don't give a damn. She ain't she ain't trying to impress nobody. A, a Wonder Woman. I would read a Wonder Woman run under more. I know more don't write no more. Whatever he's probably retired, but I would have read a Wonder Woman run under under more. Yeah, it's not Only, great. Under I, Wonder Woman under Frank Miller is not great. I still believe to this day Alan Moore in some way hates female comic book characters. Bro. He, do. he doesn't hate him more than Frank Miller though. He might he might have a disdain, but it's it's Miller who uh put uh was it Selena Kyle uh in Batman and Dark Knight Returns is is g- gagged and and bound uh dressed like Wonder Woman. Yeah, Jeez. it get it gets kind of yeah, it gets kind of crazy. But it's it's funny because the first fight of this uh, of this story is Wonder Woman having to having to like you know defend the two humans. Yeah, it's crazy because you know they they're all like talking about like what they got Superman and stuff, and they walk inside the fortress of solitude, and Batman's talking about how he got him a plant, he got him a rose, uh, called the Krypton, like a, a uh, specially gen, um, am I saying that right? Engineered, genetically engineered. Yeah, uh, plant rose so it could be, be a completely um like a new gene genius of plant 
that he was creating for Clark called the Krypton. And um, I think it's Jason that's like, uh, you might want to rethink that gift or keep the receipt or something like that because it seems like Superman has another plant. When they find him, he's standing there, catatonic, with a with a plant wrapped around his body, the Black Mercy. Um, and they they already can tell that it's not something that they can take off right away because his vitals are steady. Um, they realize that this is something that's attached to him, literally, like to his biology. And eventually, the alien conqueror known as Mongo reveals himself. Explaining that the plant, the Black Mercy, as we said, has incapacitated Superman while it confu- consumes his bio aura, feeding him a realistic dream based on his heart's des- deepest desires. In his catatonic state, Superman dreams of a normal life on his long destroyed planet of Krypton, happily married to Lara Laurel, or Laurel, <laughs> with children. But it's like you say, and this happens in the series as well as the book. But like while Batman and Robin are like trying to figure out what's what's up with this thing, Mongol and Wonder Woman just go at it and they're just smashing things in the background. He's punching her in the face. She's shooting alien weaponry at him. Uh, it's this. But even even on the show, it it, it had I don't want to say sexist writing, but sexist goddamn writing because here he's like, well, I don't really know the customs, the customs right? Of, <laughs> yeah. of humans. But I know you guys differentiate by age and gender. So someone please advise me. Who who should I kill first so it would be polite? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Alan Moore decides to have Diana crack him. And when, when she does that, that very much reminds me of like how she was kind of the first one to get all up in Doomsday's face. That is kind of true. That's you know, like cool. she's like, who is, like, I don't got no time for this. You over here making all these like, is, like disrespectful remarks. She is about the hands first, talk later. Yeah, she, she, she has the last row of truth, so she knows she could, at the end of the day, if she, she could just throw that, bam, you're not getting, you're not unbreaking. <laughs> but life. I totally felt like there was a lack of urgency on behalf of Batman and Robin in this situation. There, there was a bit of a lack of urgency, but then it, I feel like this is Alan Moore showing that in a situation of an alien and a god, Two humans need to back up. An <laughs> alien, a god, and an alien plant. Right? So It's like they, they are out of their element in this. Especially Jason Todd, who is just meeting everybody for the first time. So you, we don't even know. How, so he's technically two years into being Robin. Yeah, he said so he's met just, Superman before, but I think that was his first time to, at the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And even, um, I think there's, there's later, uh, where is it? Um... Batman says it to Jason Todd. It's like we need we need to get this thing. We need to concentrate on taking this thing off Superman because we're out of our league here. And is it in the comic or in the episode where there's a big explosion? And they're like, "Oh, that's good. Diana must got into the weapons room <laughs> or something no, like the, that." That's the cartoon where he where she gets the weapons and he's like, "All right, good. She's in the weapons room." <laughs> right. Oh, right. Something similar happens in the thing as well at, when uh, she picks up a big. Uh, a big gun oh, and he's little- like oh you might want a, a smaller one because you're a woman and she just shoots him in the face oh no that's what's so beautiful is this that's probably one of my favorite parts of this comic because they did it shot for shot in the cartoon yeah like she blasts through the he blasted through into the weapons room he's saying word for word you know that you know she's just a female right she, she picks up a gun and says go to hell and he said and he's the whole monologue of uh you should try a 
blaster fa- or a plasma disruptor because it's smaller, more of a woman's weapon. It, I was is it my is it me? He doesn't get named in the comic until Superman wakes up, right? When Superman wakes up, he screams Mongol. Right. I think like before that, he just kind of just shows up. Like they're talking like, oh, what's up with this uh, plan on Superman? And then you just hear, you see Mongol's jagged voice bubbles be like, oh, yeah, don't worry about that. You know, uh, we, you know, I just sent that thing down to him and now he's kind of going to have to deal with it. And I'm just going to destroy all of you guys. And he's this humongous, hulking uh, bad guy. Like there's not many um, DC characters that are tremendously physically imposing but mongo man he's he's there and at various no, points he's taking the strongest hits here he wasn't big he didn't look big in the cartoon episode right. but here my man would was drawn in because the once you see him and he's introduced to batman wonder woman and robin he's a monster he looked, yeah like you there's a there's one panel that he's literally crouching down like he's like he's taking a crap crouching down Right. And he's still about two feet taller than Batman. Yeah, he's just this this humongous uh, being of a man. So as um, Batman and Robin try to free Superman, Superman's fantasies take a dark turn as his father Jor-El, whose prediction of Krypton's doom was unfulfilled, has become discredited and embittered. But that was like a weird twist, right? It's like because Krypton didn't die, he's just a crazy old man. <laughs> that was talking about Krypton might be exploding. Oh. Yeah, it was like that Parks and Recs episode with uh, Zarp yeah. or Zorpa, yeah. whatever his name is. You're only crazy until it happens, uh, Jor-El. Don't worry yep. about it. Yeah, don't worry about it. Um, Superman's mother, Lara, has died from the eating sickness. Again, something that more just, you know, just Let's pulled just, out. Uh, I, like, Superman still doesn't deserve one parent. So like, right. And I, just... and I also wonder, is, is this, and maybe more I wrote it this way. It, is the idea behind the Black Mercy that it would eventually give itself up? That it would eventually stop being this paradise? Because it, yeah. things are about to turn. And I think... It, um, I'm going to ask you later when we cover the Justice League stuff. That Mercy seems incredibly more seductive. And also... Um, like, it, it's fully prepared to give you the best all the time but it was a scary seductive that's the that was my problem a, sent, a sentient seduction right like a like a, it, it 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 spoke at various points it, it narrates those stories it it's per, the purple narrating box is it narrate it is the narrator of the story yeah totally. the black mercy narrates the garden of mercy story right like, well we find out that this one here that's managed to basically handicap the man of steel is like a baby <laughs> that's what we find out uh there's way bigger they get way bigger and we'll... I, i'm not gonna lie i can't wait for us to get there but i love martian manhunters explanation to the humans what the black mercy was yeah yeah that that was to me that was great because it shows a much more savage side of kryptonians yeah um Let's see. So we have uh, the eating sickness. Uh, so because of the eating sickness, uh, Jor-El further isolated. So he was already discredited and embittered, and then he's further further isolated. Um, even the death of his brother Zor-El has not reconciled Jor-El with his sister-in-law Alora and niece Kara Zor-El, aka Supergirl. Kryptonian society undergoes political upheaval, and the disgraced Jor-El has become chairman of the extremist um, uh, extremist movement, the Sword of Rao. Calling for a return to Krypton's noble and unspoiled past, 
through the establishment of a totalitarian theocracy under the leadership of Brother Lor M. That is definitely Alan Moore. <laughs> Things always get to a point where society gives up all their freedoms to uh, get into some weird totalitarian state. Uh, this was funny. The Phantom Zone, Krypton's other interdimensional prison system developed by Jor-El, has become unpopular with the public. Do you remember those, pan- those uh, pamphlets? They're like, just because they're not here doesn't mean they're not suffering or something like that. Yep. I was like, wow, we got like anti-Phantom Zone people, you know? We've seen the anti-vaxxers, the anti-maskers, and now we got the anti-Phantom Zone people. Karazor- the anti-something. Always. Karazor L is assaulted by anti-Zone protesters, for whom the criminal Jax Ur, sentenced to eternity in the zone, is a martyr. Kal-El decides to leave the city only to witness Jor-El presiding over a political demonstration reminiscent of a fascist rally, which dissolves into a riot between anti-zone protesters and the sword of Rao. Superman gradually wakes from his increasingly disturbing dream, which finally dissolves as his son Van-El slips away. That was an awesome moment where he's like, I love you and I don't know why, but I don't think you're real. (laughs) And I was like, Damn. That's yeah, like, like a crater. Yeah, they drove away as far away as they could in the hopes of not being in the middle of all this unrest. Um, and when they get to that crater and he's holding his son, he just confesses. Like, I don't I just have this feeling that you're not real. Um and so that happens. It actually the memory starts to dissolve because Batman's able to pry away the mercy from Superman's chest. But the plant latches onto Batman instead, submerging Batman in his own dream in which his parents' murder is prevented when Thomas Wayne disarms Joe Chill. Superman awakens, infuriated by Mercy's attack, and attacks Mongol before he can kill Wonder Woman. We gotta talk about that, right? <laughs> we gotta talk about Superman waking up. Uh, literally, what is this? He says, like, who did this to me? Yeah, like he, he said, who did this to me? And, and the, the way he's drawn, you don't like see, you can't see his face. yellow guy. Yeah, you can't see some his face um, the way he's drawn. It's all shadow. He's just like this being enraged. He's so mad. And this is something that they, um, I guess with uh, voice actors and stuff, they were able to really show us in the animated version. Um, where he feels embarrassed right is that what is that what that is dave gibbons artwork is still great because you see the mongol being shouted as as, and robin like being flown back like you see the sound waves being broken as superman screams so testament to dave gibbons artwork there yeah and he's known for his restraint but in this moment he don't give a damn in his mind mongol crossed the line remember this being like one of the the first moments of seeing Superman let loose. Yeah, I always remember him versus Darkseid in Justice League, but this should have been another moment that I remember. Yeah, I was definitely, you know, my eyebrow raised at the at just how violated Superman felt. You know, I thought that was in in, in um, oh, extremely he, interesting. He woke up from he woke up from the Black Mercy crying. Yeah, he was legit like crying. Yeah. I think it's a reminder, something that he might have forgotten about, you know, Krypton, what could have been, you know, what life he could have lived. Well, Alan Moore didn't write it here. So the person that, I know we'll get there, but the one that really helps me, like, understand 
how they felt when they got out of the Black Mercy was Cara. what was going. Yeah, Cara, right? yeah. Bro, yeah. She said, you made me lose them again. And I started crying, like, legit yeah. tearing up. I'm like, oh, my God. That's what – that's why Superman went crazy. Yeah. Because it's like I had to lose them. Not only did I have to lose my father again, but I have to I have to have a, a feeling and a memory that's fake of my mother dying again. Right. And, and I'm not I'm, I'm not good at like at like weighing them out. But what do you think is worse? Kara being reminded of a world that she remembers or Clark being introduced to a world he never really knew. Because he was oh, a baby, right? So yeah. like this is him getting that time he never got. I don't know which is I mean they're both violations you know, downright dirty, no, you know, that's why I say Supergirl is the best for me because it's like the, the that simple line of I had to lose them again. Yeah. Like that was, that's what I was, that's how I understood what the black mercy made you feel. Yeah. Um, Robin. Oh, sorry. Uh, Superman awakens infuriated by the mercy attack. We spoke about that. They battle across the fortress, causing massive damage. Robin uses Mongol's discarded gauntlets to pry the mercy off of Batman, stuffing the plant inside a gauntlet to carry it safely towards the battle. Subduing Mongol, Superman is distracted by the sight of the statues of his parents. That also happens in the cartoon. And Mongol gains the upper hand. Uh, there's even that panel that happens both in the cartoon and in the comic where Superman literally just says, burn. He just says, burn burn <laughs> that's not a very superman thing to do but he was upset he turns on that uh that laser eye vision and just starts you know torching mongo so uh robin seeing mongo got the upper hand drops the mercy on him seized by the plant mongo himself is submerged into his own fantasy in which he swats the mercy aside and kills the heroes going on to conquer earth and the universe it was an awesome um it was a Sorry, awesome juxtaposition in the artwork. Yeah, on the left hand, Dave Gibbons artwork for that. Like on one side, you see him literally disintegrate. He kills Robin. Robin. Yeah, (laughs) you see his skeleton in like black. He disintegrates Robin. He freaking smashes Superman's head in. Yeah, I love the writing there. It's it's like yeah, he he just he just removed uh, or 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 separates the Kryptonian's head from his body. I think they say, and he's like he got satisfied by seeing the eyes roll to the back of the head, signifying death. Like, and everyone's just looking at him on the floor. And I love I love how violent and destructive it is that he's standing over like a like a destroyed world with Superman's head on a pike. Yeah, but I also do love the. The, the way they did it in the cartoon where you just hear the screams. Right. And you see, like, the smile on his face. I'm like, that's pretty you can kinda, cool. You can kind of connect the dots, yeah. Because well. remember, this still is a kid's show that was on Cartoon Network during the day. Like, this wasn't, yeah. like, an, this wasn't an Adult Swim night time. This wasn't a primetime show. Right. This show was the show you watched before all Cartoon Network's primetime shows. It so. still had to be enjoyable and still had to be a, little, a bit had light. To be, it had to be G and all that, or PG because of the violence, but yeah, I like how you just hear the screams in the cartoon, but I love here that you see the juxtaposition of both nine panels, uh, six panels broken down the side. Okay. Yeah, no, it's awesome stuff. Tending to their wounds, Batman mentions to Wonder Woman that his fantasy included him marrying Kathy Kane and having a teenage daughter, while Wonder Woman confesses envy that she did not find out what her heart's desire is. 
Planning to imprison Mongo in a black hole across the galaxy, Superman unwraps his unwraps his gifts. Um, this is kind of funny. Wonder Woman brought him a, a replica of, of the bottle Cindy of Candor, made uh, by Gemsmiths um, of Paradise Island. But Superman already had a replica that she didn't know about, so he runs, takes his replica, puts it in the closet, and comes back and is like, "Oh, thanks, you know, <laughs> thank you for this." Which I guess is Superman's super humility in that moment. You know, like he didn't want to hurt her feelings, but like, oh, I totally have one already. Um, Batman's gift turns out to be another plant. Like we said, the rose from Krypton, but it was stepped on. Uh, Superman says it's probably for the best. And then he asks someone to make coffee while he cleans up the fortress. And the comic ends with us seeing Mongo deep in his fantasy where he's ruling over the entire world. And he has no real reason to wake up because he's given everything he wants in this uh, dream. And that was the comic. Let's get into the animated episode. This will be real quick because it's just mostly the changes. Uh, the story was adapted for the second episode of the animated series Justice League Unlimited. In this version, Robin does not appear and most of his lines and actions are given to Wonder Woman. While some details such as the protective gauntlets are removed and many other details are altered. Batman. Oh, yeah. sim- A lot of the dialogue was switched between Wonder Woman and Batman. Yeah. Uh, A ba- lot. Of- Batman doesn't bring him the rose. He just gets him money. I think it's like a gift card or something. And no, no, no. Uh, Wonder Woman says you didn't get him a gift card, did you? And he's like, no, money. Oh, just cash. And I'm, now I'm just worried about what. No, I'm worried about what that check was. <laughs> I'm, One, I'm worried. It's Wonder Woman who brings him the rose in this, uh, in the series. So um, Wonder Woman in the book is the one that's like talking about Superman's vitals and his pupils in the show. It's Batman. Yeah. Which makes sense because he's way more on it. But let's also not be sexist as if Wonder Woman's not smart enough to be. Oh, yeah. She'd figure that out. But but you see how quickly she is um, distracted, (laughs) if you will, by war. Uh, It's in the comic. Mongo says that Superman's fantasy has to be about the ab- aboriginal backwater town, you know, town that he grew up in. In the episode... <laughs> yeah, is he talking about um, um, Kansas? Yeah. And, and in the um, in the episode, he says that it's probably... Superman's probably dreaming about controlling the universe. Which yeah. Which is a bit weird. Because uh, he has some need... Uh, there's some uh, weird need of being a self... Or no, some lie about being a selfless hero or yeah. something like that. We also have, uh, instead of Ly- Lila Laurel, like in the comics, Kal-El's wife in the fantasy is renamed Loana, which is an amalgamation of both Lois Lane and Lana Lang, <laughs> uh, which I guess the mind would do that. The two main loves of Clark's life. Um, What's with the Brainiac alarm clock servant bot? That's everywhere, isn't it? Well, not the, not the fact that it's Brainiac, but I think in almost all versions, it's like a Kalex kind of kind of robot. Uh, butler thing. <laughs> That's a Superman thing. That's a Superman uh, mythos thing. Kellex being the thing That's, that so um, we, it's all of a sudden it's like you like I'm. I was watching the episode with captions on. Yeah, and all you see is it's a it showed Brainiac in um uh the, what's that the parentheses. Yeah, and then you see this is your alarm. Wake up, wake up! I'm like Brainiac. What's with the little Brainiac alarm clock? All right, I'll just right. go with it. Um, Kellex is also in Man of Steel. If I'm not mistaken. It's that yep. little pincushion yes, thing. It's that, that, little... <laughs> that uh yeah. 
in the original comic story, Kal-El is depicted as the father of two children. In the animated adaptation, he only has the son, Van-El, which we spoke about. Um, also, all the dark scenes from Superman's fantasy are replaced with seismic activity that only he notices. Nobody else in his dreamland does. And it ends with Krypton's destruction as he realizes the false nature of the fantasy while the Black Mercy is gradually removed. Meanwhile, Batman's fantasy consists only of his father disarming and beating Joe Chill during his mugging. Similar to Superman's experience, it becomes progressively more dark with Joe slowly winning against his father and Wonder Woman gradually freeing Batman of the Black Mercy. He realizes the false nature of the fantasy. Uh, in the end, Batman does not share his fantasy and Wonder Woman expresses no interest to know her heart's desire and Mongo's fantasy of conquest is not shown, like you said, instead represented with a soundtrack of screams and explosions as the camera zooms in on the slightly smiling face, on his slightly smiling face. So, um... J.M. D. Mateus, I think is his name, adapted the script from Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' story that we just covered. Uh, and you ready for this, Bob? Here we go. Alan Moore liked the episode. Oh, he must have, because you know how it is with Alan Moore not wanting his name on the credit? His name's on the credit in this episode. Yeah. It uh, literally said, based on a story by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. We joke so often about... Um, how much he doesn't like any adaptations to his stuff, that it was cool to see him be like, you know what? Yeah, I got it right. Yeah, I got this one right. Well, I feel like they, I feel like that's what would be his reasoning for liking that specific episode. It's like, I felt like you guys got that right. Yeah, you got the, you got what I was trying to say. Um, so let's talk about Supergirl now for the girl who has everything. The thirteenth okay. episode. I, I love this. <laughs> the first, the thirteenth episode. Uh. Of the first season of the number CBS 13. television series, Supergirl. And this, number 13 that got me to like this show. And this aired on February 8th, 2016. Um, as we know, it's based on the Superman story for the man who has everything. Uh, which was written at that point. That story was 30 years old. <laughs> so, this uh, yeah. shows you. Yeah. So... Kara wakes up on Krypton under a medical assistant robot named Kalex, returning. Her mother, Alora, returns and tells her she was experiencing the Argo fever. On Earth, a solar storm prevents Kat from reaching Kara when James and Alex, oh, Kara, when James and Alex find her body wrapped in the plant, the Black Mercy, when they get there. I love Kat Grant. I love, um, damn it, forgetting her name. Uh, the lawyer chick. I just called her a chick. That's not nice. Uh, Ali McBeal. Um, McBeal. I could Callista Flockhart. Callista. That yes. Is, that, is, that is Alyssa Flockhart. Callista Flockhart. She I murders knew. that role. That like editor, really super rich editor. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. When I first watched, when I first was watching her on screen, I could have sworn that was Kira Cedric for a second. But the right. whole. time. Oh, is that Kira Cedric? That's gotta be Kira Cedric. Is that Kira? I like the sworn. like the whole thing of like, what, what milk did you use in this whole milk? My lips haven't touched whole milk <laughs> since I had streamers on my bicycle or something like that. Oh, that was crazy, and then and then just walks away. That woman makes me miss prison. Right, oh and when she's when he says like, 
And he's like, well, I just think whatever, whatever. She's like, oh, I'm glad that you, you, you're feeling comfortable enough to express your opinions. I'm like, oh my gosh. And on purpose, that character numerously calls her by a different name instead of her real name. Her real name is Kara Danvers or Kara. And she calls her everything else. Yeah. Yes. I love when she when uh Martian Manhunter was trying to get the day off with her and she's like, Oh wait, hold on, I need to record this. I need to record you telling me you need the day off. Right, yeah. Three hours late. Yeah, she was supposedly sick, you know, when it was covering for her, but then uh, she's like, If she doesn't get here now, uh it's a wrap. She's She'll be fired. fired. She's yep. fired. Um at the DEO, which is the Department of Extraterrestrial Affairs, something like that. The, uh, it's, they deal with aliens. Um, an attempt to pull the plant off Kara winds up nearly killing her. The plant known as the Black Mercy was sent by Non. That's, yeah, an evil Kryptonian. Astra is not happy given the deal she made to leave Kara alone. Kara realizes this Krypton is not real and wishes to go home. But she sees a statue she made, uh, she, uh, sees a statue she made for her father. Her memories of Earth begin to fade. She sees Astra and starts blaming her and Nan. Alex uh, suggests Hank pose as Kara and he pulls it off, managing eventually to get Kat to give Kara the day off. While Alex this, attempts... This is just another testament to Melissa ben- Benoist's acting. It's just... Her playing uh, Marshall Manhunter playing her. <laughs> yeah. Just right. a testament to the, to the fine acting that that woman does as Kara. And you're sitting there like, how is she back? How is she talking to Kat? And you're like, oh... The way he's standing, like the hands behind the back, the fiddling with the glasses, you're like, oh, this is something. Simple dialogue. Yeah. Well, I feel that if you gave me proper instructions, that then your (laughs) order should be executed properly. I'm like, oh my. And that's what she says. Oh, I'm glad you've gotten so comfortable that you feel like you can tell me how you really feel. (laughs) She's just a great dick boss. I think she's tremendous, uh, Cat Grant. So. Uh, Alex eventually recruits Maxwell Lord to help send her into Kara's consciousness to convince her to reject the hallucination. Uh, Nan confronts Astra about her disappearance, but Astra tells him that nothing could jeopardize their plans. Wynn believes the solar storm is a part of the Kryptonian's plan to disrupt Earth's technology through satellites, prompting Hank to allow Wynn to access the DEO's computer to uh, reboot them. Alex tries pulling out of pulling her out of virtual Krypton only to be knocked out by Kara. James stops Hank from aborting the mission. Alex is sentenced to the Phantom Zone as she tries to reason with Kara. The virtual world starts to break up as Kara comes to her senses. She finally remembers her life on Earth and they are brought back to reality. The plant is removed and Kara seeks revenge on Nan, uh, who is using, who's trying to use lower technology satellites to weaken and overwrite the transmissions. In such a great scene bro her yeah. facial expressions she they're just, talking they're like talking about what non and uh astra are up to and she's not even paying attention like she's laser focused on like where, i'm not gonna lie where. i started getting i was i i didn't think that this show was gonna give me like a suspense feeling but i got a little suspense feeling i was like wait are they gonna is she like like is there somebody else in there is the black mercy like taking over fully where now it's like She's like not even there anymore. Like, right. She was just so pissed. <laughs> Bro, she was distraught. And like it you said, she flies great. over to nine and she just starts hammering him. You how could you? Did you know what you actually do? You made me lose them again. Um she says something else, I can't remember what it is, but it it's all with the same like gravitas. Um 
we also see Alex has her Kryptonian sword and her Kryptonian suit, uh, which is kind of cool. Where am I? Kara faces off against Nan while Alex confronts Astra. Alex discovers the Kryptonian's plans to eliminate humanity with a cure called Myriad. They said like humanity's the disease, Myriad's the cure. Hank shows up to save Alex, who impales Astra with a kryptonite blade. Um, Astra was also talking smack to the to to Martian Manhunter, right? <laughs> like she was like you something about Martians. I'm pretty sure she's racist. Uh, Kara gets the better of Nan, and she sees a dying Astra who apologizes to her. Hank Hank takes responsibility for Astra's death, claiming uh, he killed her before the three of them leave as the Kryptonians arrive. Nan is reminded that his wife did not die in vain as Myriad will be operational. Hank tells Alex she made the right call killing Astra, but Alex is upset over his lie. Kara explains to Alex, Jamie, and Wynn that feeling lonely and lost made her envision Krypton, but she ultimately missed being on Earth with her family and friends. Um, when she comes home, they're repairing her, ho- her home. They're cleaning, they're doing dishes, they're putting everything uh, right. Because when she they got there the first time, it was all a wreck. And then they play like a pretty contemporary song, uh, a pretty contemporary sad song in the background as she explains that she does feel whole and feel here. Um, and that's basically how the episode ends. Anything you want to say on the girl who has everything? Man, there's solid acting. Like actually, real solid acting. You think you think um Hank Henshaw? You think uh, uh Martian Manhunter, the actor? Oh, I loved Martian Manhunter. The only thing that I that was trying that was kind of throwing me out or out of it, but then I had to remember that it's CBS. Was <laughs> his was his jaw? Yeah, his jaw was very weird and. And wonky. he's not. And and the joke that we you know it's people who've watched the series. Uh, throughout make is that you won't see a lot of green Martian Manhunter. He's primarily <laughs> uh, Hank Henshaw. And then, um, you know, on occasion we, we might get the green skin, but it, it's a heavy effect, you know? And she yeah, has to fly every episode, so. <laughs> network television, so I, I, I understand it. But then again, then just don't put in the character. If you can't give us Martian Manhunter. Yeah, don't. I think they, they find a way to skirt it. Um, he does have a lot of, he brings a lot of, um, gravitas to it like seriousness and sternness to the episode i think and and to the series as a whole uh martian manhunter does and a lot of what you'll see about season one you know how arrow was uh criticized for taking a lot of batman plot points a lot of superman a uh, supergirl season one is superman plot points uh they bring in bizarro Livewire, characters like that that we know from Superman, the animated series. And it works, though. It, it, they, they find a way to make it work. As long as it works. Yeah. So, those three things are... Like, you have the man who has everything. Then you have the animated version of it. Um, which is almost a direct translation of the comic. And then you have this Supergirl ep- uh, episode. Where they want to take the biggest ideas of it. And just show it to a new audience with live action people. Which I thought was good. I never ever thought that they would do a continuation of the story i hear that the black mercy has uh, popped up in green lantern comics and there's even i think something called a mother mercy which is like the main plant <laughs> that spawns well, these black mercy uh I think plants. that would be the giant tree in the garden of mercy storyline right but yeah we get to this black mercy storyline uh 
in Justice League. And we actually covered the first 39 issues of Justice League as part of the podcast. Um, so Wait, I have which the Go rebirth. Ahead. No. Uh, so the rebirth starts in 2016. So what run is this? The 2018 run. There's no name for it. Theoretically. Oh, this, is after, this is after new 52 after rebirth. Yeah. So basically what happened was they did new 52. Um, they did, uh, rebirth the justice league. And then as that was happening, um, things like no justice happened that broke the universe. Cause they broke the, you know, metal broke the, um, source wall. And then a bunch of threats started coming out of the events of no broke justice. Source wall. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the source wall from, I think either justice league or justice league unlimited. The, one of those, I think Lex Luthor went to it. Yeah, so the result of the of Metal broke the source wall, and that was something that was encapsulating this universe. So a bunch of new threats started to show up, um, and they restarted Justice League with Scott Snyder writing it. Because Scott, the, Scott wrote Metal and wrote what the after effects of Metal did to DC. So then they gave him Justice League so he could flesh that That's out. Yeah, 100%. So he could flesh that out, and then now he's doing Death Metal. So at the end of issue 39 of Justice League, spoiler alert, uh, they're kind of sort of wiped away from the existence. Uh, that's what it seems like. And then the rest of these stories are supposedly just stories that took place, I guess, in the interim. Which is why I haven't gone back. Because I'm like, I know, you know, I, I got my hunk of 39 issues of Scott Snyder's story. And it connects right to Death Metal, which I'm reading now. But again, just coincidentally, two weeks ago, they covered Black Mercy. So we're going to sit here and talk about issues 51 and 52, um, The Garden of Mercy. Say again? This is freshly 2020. This is, this is September 2020, bro. So that's why there had fandom in the freaking, the, at, the, at the page advertisements. Yeah. It, this I'm is, wondering this why is they're like, new, fresh, off the I'm like, yeah. I'm like, well, wait, how, how old is this story that the actors? I know when you see the advertisements when you're reading on like read comics online, that's actually from the comic itself. Right, right. So they're, they're advertising DC fandom and uh, John Constantine help a new Hellblazer volume or whatever. Yeah, new Hellblazer, uh, new Hellblazer Black Label story. Oh, I would. I I need to get into Black Label. I need to get into Death Metal and Metal. I gotta just get into it. Yeah, it's it's, it's some heavy stuff, but I think you. It'll be it. my con. I think I, I think I'm allowed my content. <laughs> yeah, and if you go back and cover metal, we actually did metal in two parts here. It's a dense story. There's a bunch of uh, tie-ins, is what you call it. Every single one of the Nightmare Batman have their own one-shot, their own one issue explaining their origins, including the Batman who laughs, which you know is somebody who stick around. Uh, but that's where all that comes from. That's where all you know uh, it all comes from metal. But speaking of Things coming from weird places. The writer of this comic, yeah, the writer of this comic is Jeff Loveness, and if you don't recognize that name, it's because it's not somebody who you know a lot in comics. This is a gentleman who's a screenwriter. Uh, he wrote for The Office. He wrote for Jimmy Kimmel Live. He wrote for uh, various Emmy Awards. He wrote for the Academy Awards. Um, but most recently, he's wrote, written for Rick and Morty. He's done uh, five episodes of, oh, sorry, four episodes of Rick and Morty this, of this last season, which I, I'm assuming is about half of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, or close to half of it. And he is the writer for the Untitled Ant-Man and the Wasp sequel. 
So I thought that was pretty damn interesting. Like, all right, he's done some stuff for Spider-Man and Nova and Groot in the past, but this is definitely his first, you know, go around uh, for DC. Uh, the penciler is Robinson Roca, and the inker is Daniel Henriquez. Let's get into the Garden of Mercy Part One. And again, when the people do stuff like a sequel to this, uh, first of all, uh, I. Everything Alan Moore is getting sequelized. The Joker from The Killing Joke is in Three Jokers. Watchmen's been sequelized and made into another series with Doomsday Clock and The Watchmen Show on HBO. And now we have this. Uh, one, his one-issue story being linked out by other people. And when this happens, you're always afraid that they're going to lose the, the narrative, right? That it's going to be a cash, cash grab for cash grab's sake. It's just to be familiar. Um, and you, you're going you're gonna to lose it. But I really, I really like the culmination of the ending of this and it spoke to me on a deep level and we'll get to it when we get to it. This is the beautiful part about like, I don't mind 30 plus year sequels and reboots and remakes and reimaginings and all that. When you give me what I've gotten here today, studying, re- reading and watching all of them for the man who laughed and for the man who has everything. Yeah. Watching for the girl who has everything episode watching the Justice League episode and then reading Alan Moore's original story, reading this sequel from a, from a few days ago or whatever, two right. weeks ago. It, this is where I, I say you can, not you can, but you should sequelize something when you have the passion for it. I have not gotten one bad uh, version of Alan Moore's original story yet. And it's crazy because a lot of people take that as their responsibility to move the ball along, right? Keep it in yeah, the air. Pass it to the next person. Push the chain. Yeah, yeah. Um, some, but it is intimidating. You know, it, it's definitely intimidating. I mean, they made a sequel to Watchmen, bro. Doomsday Clock is a sequel to Watchmen. Nine panels and everything. It's not easy. It's not. It's not. Oh. Um, oh. Yeah. But let's but get into this. Have guys like you know? Look at these. Look at the guys that are writing these things. Yeah, they're they're fans. <laughs> you know, they're fans that eventually got to the media. Jeff Johns is a huge fan. 100%. This dude, Jeff Loveness, has been working everywhere. Yeah. Poor guy's a workhorse. You just brought up his entire credentials. Man's a workhorse. Killing it. Killing it. Uh, so, yeah, this is issues of 51 and 52 of Justice League. And 51, uh, our story starts off with the Black Mercy narrating, as I said. Um, this Black Mercy is way more seductive and way more uh, um, uh, taunting, almost. It's, like. It, 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 Feminine and it's not feminine, but like you know, seductively. It's like a. It, it That's reminds- the only word I could think of. I'm I'm probably I'm probably have a bad you know. Like there's probably a better word for that, but That's all me, I can think of is seduction. I'm trying to find the word to say. She's like a Pamela Ivy in a sense. It reminds yeah. me of very much Poison Ivy when flirtatious she, and and, and, and flirtatious. salacious. <laughs> flirtatious, very flirtation and promiscuous. Like. Right, right, right. Uh, so the Black Mercy questions our heroes about whether or not the choices they've made have brought them any true happiness as opposed to the reruns that they face, like the idea that they're just doing this over and over and over and every day. It's pretty um, meta commentary. Right oh there. yeah, it definitely is. Cause it, it also ponders what keeps the heroes going uh, and thinks that maybe what keeps them going is that they wouldn't know what to do if they stopped, which is that's, you know, we talk about that with Batman all the time. Um, and they even go so far as to say, what would even make them stop? Because almost all of them have died at least once. 
and they all come back to life and go right back to it, uh, which I think is also incredibly meta. But it, it's it's questioning the the long game of these missions uh, or this this uh, crusade that all these heroes have chosen to go on, and whether or not the ends justify the means, whether or not they they are have gotten happier. If things, what was it? Are you better off? All that kind of stuff uh, is being questioned here. In deep space, Superman, Batman, The Flash, Wonder Woman, and Jon Stewart are making their way back to Earth after a mission. Suddenly, their ship is pulled in a different direction and a different planet. And the Mercy explains that it brings people here uh, to show them what their current to show them that their current life is not enough. Um, and the thing is. Just stating it that way, you can see how this plant, this planet that's covered in the Black Mercy, how it easily ensnares people. It's almost Be- like a siren in a sense. It's yeah, like all it has to do is is just shipment. Think about that concept of somebody just saying, "Hey, you know that life you're living right now? It could be way better." And I know, I know how. Come over here. I'll show you. That's that's enough to get me. <laughs> that curiosity and that that's that sureness. But it also has this weird, like, energy pull. Like, it yeah. changed. Or even, like, hey, I don't remember our coordinates. Yeah, it changed direction. It like, literally pulled them there. Pulled there. Gravita- gravitationally pulled them there. Like, crazy. Yeah. Um, when they arrive, the planet seems dead. And Wonder Woman makes Flash scout the planet and Green Lantern search for life forms. The League wants to know who or what summoned them there. And Superman starts to have deja vu, saying something feels familiar. And Batman agrees. Again, just Easter eggs for those who have read, right? Uh, for also, everything. How many, how many like alterations of their specific continuity and universe have they been through? Right. So it's almost more of a have we done this before? Right. Have we done oh. it? Right. And it gets confirmed later on that they have. But yeah, it's it's the beginnings of. Sh- wait a minute. <laughs> you know, like I've heard this story before. Almost right. It's like they're 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 talking to us, the reader, going, "Do you remember this? Because I kind of remember something like this." They're not, yeah, they're not, they're specific. You know it's a sequel to For the Man That Has Everything, but the way their dialogue is being set up, it's like, well, is this a sequel? Do you, do you even remember that story for it to be a sequel? Did you come with us on that journey? You know? And I wonder if you don't have For the Man Who Has Everything, do you think the story still works? Yeah. Because... I before reading for the man who has everything, I still felt like this was a pretty solid story. Okay, like in and in a, I like I like I could follow everything and right. just like put it in my head that okay, the Black Mercy is probably from a Superman story from like the nineteen forties or the nineties or something like like I just it I was there like they had me in the driver's seat just going with it oh i didn't ask you and i'm pretty sure all the listeners will want to know how you feel about jimmy olsen oh on the supergirl show yeah my man james (laughs) yeah they they, yeah that's how they differentiate it you call that man james that man is james olsen i mean i'm i'm honestly here for it i don't care give it at this at this point people that are against you know, race swapping. Yeah, I know that there's a, you know, just make your own character. Why are we exploiting diversity for profit? At this point, why you got a problem, why you got a problem with a black man being something other than what you always see him as? Right. Let the black man be the, the ace news reporter. And, and, and they like machoed him up. Maybe 
there's no reason why Jimmy Olsen on Another World couldn't be confident and all structure and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, uh, there's no reason for for old Jimmy Olsen to be all, all beefed up. He's like, nah, we're not gonna have this skinny old little redhead. We gonna get our man uh James with a capital J. My man James, yeah. I'm here for it. <laughs> um, Mercy narrates again, asking if heroes like Superman and Batman. If heroes like Superman and Batman were shown a better way, would they have the courage to change their lives for the better? Or does the current broken way of doing things comfort our heroes in a sense of routine? And Dan, that's me. <laughs> I know, bro. I was reading the whole thing. Uh, that's I'm all of like, us in a way, right? Yeah, I'm just reading it like, damn. This if, is, if someone showed us the it, exact way to make our lives better, would we instantly act on it? Or would we consider... Well, maybe what I'm doing right now is not that bad. <laughs> you know, just that routine, that ability to stick to yeah, your also, routine, good or bad or they indifferent. Were, they weren't given a choice. Superman wasn't given a choice. Well, like, the, the idea is that ev- it, the idea was that no one told him he had to save the world. That was a choice he made. Yeah, no one no, told Batman but, he had to. I, I get the idea that once you shoot a kid's parents, you putting him on a path but i don't think that path necessarily goes straight to protector of gotham city those are all choices no he that that's that that is a thing that he could have used his resources to be the next harvey dent him and harvey could have been literally partners at law right or he could have been a murderer he could have just been a killer right he could have just there has to be a universe where he's like oh so this is what happens in the world well then screw it nothing matters there's so many different ways this could have went. So the Mercy is almost mocking them by saying, like, you thought that this was the best choice? You know, like, you, both you and Superman thought that this was the best. That all the things that you've done, including all the lives that have been lost because of the things that you have done. Was this really the best life you could have lived? The choices that so you the made? Mercy, so the Mercy remembers them. The Mercy remembers them. I think the Mercy, I think the idea is that it's so um, all-encompassing. It might be pulling some some stuff out of the air, right? Because it's it doesn't latch on yet unless all of this narration is in past tense. It well, must no, be getting I'm, something from the general, the general, them being in the general area. It could be the it, it could be both. It could be the general area, but I remember that that one uh, the hive mind. Yes, the, yes, 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 yes. The the, the thing the Black Mercy is a hive mind. Right, and so every part of it would remember parts of people that it's probably grabbed onto oh, before. That tree remembers those two fantasies because of all the people that, yeah, Wonder Woman didn't get latched on. She was fighting Mongol. Right. So that's why it was specifically speaking to Batman and Superman. Or else if all of them got taken down in that story, he probably would have been talking to all of them and we would have gotten more. Yeah, and there's something very interesting about... We'll, we'll get into what the Black Mercy showed Superman, but there's definitely a reason why, and we'll get into that as well. Uh, when Diana asks Clark to check for heartbeats, Superman is appalled because he hears several heartbeats, but they're all in unison and slowed down. Suddenly, we see Barry, who, when scouting the planet, has bumped into a huge sector of the Black Mercy with many lives, uh, sorry, with many life forms ensnared in it. Flash communicates this with the League, who warn him not to touch anything, but Barry can't leave the bodies there. Using their power of deduction, Superman and Batman figure out that they're standing on a planet covered with full-grown versions of the Black Mercy from Superman Annual Number 11. Stewart warns against touching it, but it's too late. The Mercy has ensnared Barry Allen. 
Stuart goes to help his friend, but he is ensnared as well. Diana doesn't fare well either and gets trapped. And while fighting off its touch, Superman is reminded of his fake life with his son from the annual. And the image makes him hesitate for a second, which causes him to be ensnared as well. I thought that was really jacked up. Like there's a scene of him lasering these plants. And then he literally just gets a faint image of when he was hugging his son. And then he stops. And that's when the plant grabs him up. Uh, Cold-blooded. With cold-blooded, with Batman being the last person the Black Mercy snatches snatches him up and conjures a morbid image of Bruce's mom Martha, covered in blood with her gun wounds, who tells her son that she is the only one who can save him and get him to stop stop living the life that he's living, and that is the end of issue fifty-one. Uh, good stuff, right? I I. I can't get over, and it, there's more of it in this next issue, just the art of how you look when you're covered in the Black Mercy. Oh, it's fantastic. Like, initially, the ones that we saw, it's just kind of a series of roses with things sticking out of it, and then these tendrils wrapped around your chest. But when you're on this planet, it, you become part of the plant. It literally takes all of you in. It's almost like some weird swamp thing, gothic imagery kind of stuff. Um, like how we saw, especially on the show, when the plant would grow inside the human and then they'd become part of the furniture almost. It would just wrap, the vines would just wrap around. And it's, it's some nightmare fuel stuff, especially, um, when the next issue opens. Uh, and the next issue opens with Mercy's narration explaining that Batman's entire identity is wrapped in the day his parents were killed in Crime Alley. The Mercy plans to show Bruce another life he could have lived in hopes of changing his mind when it comes to fighting the plant's effects. We are shown a grotesque image of all the Justice Leaguers completely wrapped in the Black Mercy. In his hallucination, young Bruce stands up and demands that Mercy get out of his head while transforming into a demon Batman. Instead of fighting Bruce, through Martha, through Martha the Mercy explains that this isn't a trap and she doesn't want to talk to Batman, but instead talk to the person who is truly sacrificed for Batman's crusade, young Bruce. Bruce rails against this, but Mercy insists that people think they know what they want, but when pre presented with it, are too afraid to take it. It continues by saying, it knows Bruce has seen what he becomes in various futures of various timelines, and it's always the same. He's left alone after turning on everyone that could ever help him. This is when I feel like the taunting and the salaciousness and the seduction is happening, right? She's like, yeah. you know you've seen other, other futures. Why does it always end up that way? Why do you always end up alone? Maybe that's not the life you need to live. Like, it's, it's convincing. It's not just using the imagery. Like, in Superman Annual Number 1, it's... it's, it's heartbreaking writing. Like, yeah. absolutely heartbreaking. Where the mom fantasy was even saying... You said you did. You're, you said you're doing this for me. Yeah. But do you think I would want this? Right. Do you think I would want this life for you? So who are you really doing this for? Right. I'm like, I'm like yo, yeah, I get you're an evil, like bad guy type, whatever. But you're spitting some tea right now. <laughs> no, 100%. <laughs> and I guess that's why it works all the time because it knows the deepest, darkest desires. And it's, it's, it's your worst. It's the worst of you talking to yourself almost, right? It's everything, every, it, it's the BoJack Horseman episode that we talk about so much. The, the Time Tower, stupid piece of shit. A stupid piece of shit. <laughs> where, um, where 
it's just it it's it's making him second guess everything. His own worth, his his mission, his crusade, all of it. And it's really getting to Bruce. Like it it totally is getting to Bruce. Um yeah, she basically says you always end up the same, alone, old, broken. Yeah. You know, and, and the people you do let into your life, you know, you treat them like a prison, you have to control them, that's not a life, like Yeah. Because it's true, he has to control the people that he allows to be close to him so they don't die. And so they don't mess up his crusade, which is because a crusade that she says, again, he doesn't need to be on. So you're, you're isolating yourself for a thankless mission that will never end, basically. <laughs> that's, the, that's the best way to put it, right? Yep. Um, when Mercy, through Martha, asks, asks, asks him what's, what, eh, what it's for, Bruce confesses it's all for his parents and that he swore an oath that senseless, senseless murders like theirs would never happen again on his watch. The Mercy explains that by taking on this crusade, he's begun a path that not only killed his childhood dead, but that will be ongoing. Back in reality, and I think this is what happens, Wonder Woman's hand brushes up against the last of truth, breaking the plant's hold on her, right? Which once again, yeah, which once again, you don't get to see Diana's desire. No. You want to you guess I, at it? I don't think she has one. I think her desire is that the Amazonians are on Earth. Or land? Man's land? <laughs> I, think that, I think the dividing nature of, of her life... Because she, she left that island, right? When they didn't even think it was worth it. And they may, they may uh, placate her now. But I don't think they truly understand or care about man as much as she does. I think in her dream scenario, they're on the same page as her. And the Amazonians are helping, uh, you know, man get to where they need to be there's some kind of there's some kind of amalgamation of the two different lives that she le- that she lives that i think um she would dream of does that make sense makes a bunch of sense yeah so yeah she wouldn't have to go from place to place character i don't want to say that she isn't but i don't want to say that she is but she kind of is she's a pretty complicated character definitely I don't think that the character slows down enough sometimes to think about the gravity of everything going on. She very much takes charge. And um, it is a shame that we didn't get to see her fear. But when I was thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, it would totally be a place where like her and her mom are like at Denny's with Steve Trevor. You know, like it would be it would be, you know, both her her parts of her life together in one. Honestly. Yeah. So, um, using her strength and weapons, she frees the other members of her team while Mercy continues to taunt Batman. It asks if things have truly gotten better with his war on crime, and Bruce simply admits he cannot stop Mercy. Oh, so he can't stop. So Mercy presents an out. It can give Bruce a life that has more meaning than his current one of misery. It asks Bruce to swear an oath to it. And Bruce seems to comply by removing his cowl. The mercy begins to show Bruce glimpses of a life he could have lived, where he retires the Batman, but is still able to bring about change using his influence and money. It shows Bruce how instead of fighting his foes with fists, maybe friendship could turn the tide with his rogues gallery. It says while something that he knows... Oh, yes. It's, it says, while something that he knows, like the life of Batman, will end, Bruce doesn't have to fear endings anymore, and that the mercy could give him the one thing he could never give himself, a life that isn't all about death. 
I was like, damn. That's some uh, some heavy stuff, especially because recently in Batman comics, Alfred is dead. So you got to think that this is all like Alfred was his main confidant with him gone. You got to think it's got to be even easier to want to stay here in this world with your parents, seemingly. Um, yeah. And I love that kind of sort of, you know, the first time he gets touched with the Black Mercy it's the prevention of their deaths. But this one this one doesn't even promise that. It just promises a different life after that. It's almost like a deeper level, you know? Like, oh, if I just showed you the world, the pristine world where we're still alive, you, you wouldn't bite. But maybe I could show you something a little bit closer to the life you have without all the, of the loss. And I think that's Which even more sinister. Which brings me back to that Supergirl episode where, where Alex was just telling her, you know, I can't promise you a life without pain, but I can just, you know, give you, I can promise you a good life with people that love you. Like, it's, it's perfectness because that perfect simulation never ends up being perfect for anybody. Right. 100%. What do you think about Bruce kind of taking this in? Because he is listening, man. He is giving. He is letting mercy speak. He is being seduced in many ways. What do you think about that? I think. I think he's like not really. He, he's like, how do you put it? He is listening, but there's a way that it's like he's listening without knowing that he's going to do it because he's not going to consider that. You in don't think way. so? No, I think a little part of him might have. I don't know if he would have been. I don't know. Maybe he's just had a a time in his life. Like I said again, like with the Alfred dying and everything, he just seemed like he was willing to hear it out, and that's big for Batman, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like this idea that he's even willing to hear it out at all. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me your best pitch. It's like even the best pitch means that you are, uh, you know, you have this parasitic plan on you even in the best case scenario no matter what it envisions you to to, to, to uh, sh- oh sorry no matter what it shows you in these hallucinations you're still you're not really living and but he's still waiting to hear it out and i'm like a plant is literally eating you yes bio aura bro bio aura <laughs> uh la, 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 la. as it tells bruce it can finally give him a happy life wonder woman frees batman Feeling its group lo- loosen, the Mercy tells Bruce to just think about it before the Justice Leaguers start to destroy the plant itself. In my opinion, Bruce is visibly shaken as the plant goes up in flames. When Flash is able to save the aliens, the Mercy had its hold on. When they get... This is the great ending. And this is the moral of this story, which ties into the dream that I had. Uh, and let's get on with it. When they get back on the ship, Batman refuses to talk to anyone, and Superman can tell something is wrong. Back in Gotham, Batman is brooding on a skyscraper, and Superman shows up and stands beside him. Without even being prompted, Clark starts to confess as to what the Black Mercy showed him the first time. He explains that the first time the Black Mercy ensnared him, it showed him a world in which he had a son. After that, he felt embarrassed for caring about slash wanting something he thought was impossible. He kept those fears to himself, and his real life started to feel false around him, as he continued to deny what he knew he truly wanted. In his mind, the Black Mercy was taunting him with a life he probably could have, and yet he felt so embarrassed that he wanted more. Eventually, he confessed about what the Black Mercy showed him to Lois, 
which was the first step in him acknowledging that if he truly wanted to, he could make the necessary changes to have any life that he wanted. Together, he and Lois were able to have that son, and he now lives a version of the life he was shown when he was first confronted with the Black Mercy. He tells Batman that they are allowed to change, and they are allowed to want more, so long as they're able to be brave enough to make those changes and make the acknowledgement known that they want more. He says that wanting new things is what keeps them alive, almost giving Bruce permission to want more. When Bruce asks Clark what the, most, what the mercy showed him, this time, Superman looks at his friend and says, Believe it or not, Bruce, it showed me this very moment. And, man. So, to, to, you know, to dovetail with the Alan Moore story, the Black Mercy couldn't show him a situation where he had a happy family, bro, because he has one. He went and got that. He took away something from the Black Mercy. He took away the ability to dangle that in front of him and say, wouldn't you want to be this? That's so powerful. <laughs> That's like immensely powerful. That's like, I, like, I don't know. It's just, it, it really spoke to me of like, go get the things that you want. Don't be embarrassed to want them. Don't be embarrassed to have these desires and want more from life. Even if you feel like you've reached goals and reached accomplishments, there's always more, there's always upward. There's always another layer. There's always another place. Um, there's always higher heights, I guess to say, to go. And Batman truly believed that, I guess he didn't deserve it up, up front. I don't know. Well, see, that, that's, that's why I, like, I, I believe that there's no such thing as true happiness. Not that happiness doesn't exist. So no, I don't want anybody so to you, think that. So I think you mean like, uh, forever, no ha- like forever happiness, you mean? Yeah, there is. I think there's such thing as true no, happiness, but I think what you mean is like you don't just get happy and just stay happy forever. It's it's not even about that. You you all right? What if one day your true happiness is to be a, a husband, and now you're a husband, but then you say to yourself, "Well, maybe my true happiness is to be a father." Now you're a father. Oh well, maybe my true happiness is to own a business, and now you want a business. Like there is no such thing as true happiness because once you get to true happiness of what you stated your goal was true happiness you end up pushing the goalpost and now you have another true happiness and another true happiness i think sometimes we're too we're too uh simplistic in what we uh, assume will make us happy oh I, right right now true happiness to me would be a, a, an amazing tasting burger you understand and what i'm saying I, and then all of a sudden like are you wrong then after the burger to be like and i would like a nice hat i don't think so no you're not wrong but I don't. But don't sit here and think that this is true. Like you know, you that, will that's the end goal. That, that that's the end of your that you will you will forever stop struggling and you will never have a sad day once you achieve the thing that you think will make you happy forever. Happiness, happiness, it, it doesn't have an end. Happiness shouldn't be the end goal or have an end goal. You should just always look. For always happiness. strive. Always work. Always, always get a little bit better. Right. The second you, the second you stop. Looking for happiness is when you start realizing you become complacent and depressed and you're stuck. But I think that's kind of what Clark is trying to tell Bruce is like, don't feel bad about wanting another life. Go out and get that life and show that you that it, if it's what you want, go get it. Don't feel like you don't deserve it. Don't don't think, well, you know, that won't make me happy forever. Go out and, and responsibility are two different things now, because I feel Bruce feels it's his responsibility. Like. 
No, yes, a Superman exists in my world, but nobody can do what I can do because nobody can be the martyr I can be. But even that, if he, even if he wants to be Batman, he, I think he could still. I think there's a middle ground. I think he'd still be Batman. But maybe we'll start seeing Bruce do the things that we saw him do in the Black Mercy, like start to try to befriend, you know, villains or or come up with more legislation or or One do more in that regard. That I ever saw, like he was using his resources to help Mister Freeze. He was going through walks in the park with Poison Ivy. He yeah. was on. Um, he was like helping uh, uh, Two Face through therapy. I don't know what the implications of Joker is, but I think they killed Joker. <laughs> that's what it seemed like, right? Like they put electric chair. Kind of the, they, just ended, they just ended the Joker or whatever, right? Dangerous person ever. Like, and then you just see Joker in a straight jacket. Like, I literally think the implications there was they kind of like lobotomized him. Like, what do you think about Superman saying that that that's what he saw when the Black Mercy got him this time? The, the conversation they, they just had. What do you think that means? I don't think it's the conversation in detail. I think that Superman's heart desired at that moment was to have an actual heart to heart, heart moment with Bruce. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because they and and I even love how, how like Batman will call him like old friends, like listen, old, like when in in the for the man who has everything. He was trying to like call him out of the fantasy. He's like, "Listen, old friend, I need you now. You got to snap out of it, Clark." Like Right. It was it so yeah, like Superman would definitely want to have that heart-to-heart moment. And what I love about all the adaptations of this show is everybody gets that moment. Everybody yeah. gets that moment of Superman or Supergirl under the the Black Mercy and somebody having like a heart, either like a therapy moment or some kind of like releasing all their emotions. Freaking Alex talking to the hologram of. Supergirl's mom was breaking my damn heart. Yeah, yeah, that shit was hurting. Like, you know, she was the just idea. Talk- like, that's a whole nother level. The idea that you would get somebody to go in there, and not only go in there, but try to tell somebody in their deepest moment that that what they're seeing is not real. This oh, is not that's real. Also another yeah. like level that they add, that's a, it's another good original level that they added to that storyline in Supergirl. I love it that they had that they threw Alex to go in there. And have to help her convince herself this perfect world isn't real. Yeah, because there's, there's almost no reason to leave in a lot of these scenarios. Besides, she's you know, dealing with, with young little Clark. Her and her aunt aren't enemies; they're family. Like, yeah. she, her, her father's alive. Still around, yeah. Yep, Krypton's fine for the most part. No, and there's not even anything like actually wrong, wrong with Krypton. Right. Like, it, this was one of the one instances of the fa- of the Black Mercy fantasies where. It was perfect in a sense. Yeah. Until it wasn't. And so, like, I love, for the man who has everything, I love the rest of that. But I think that this ish, these two issues become necessary reading if you read those. If you read uh, for the man who has everything and then see the ad- other adaptations. Because I think that you need the footnote, the epilogue that says, don't be afraid to have those dreams, though. Just, just because... They're your deepest and darkest desires. Don't feel embarrassed by them. They yeah. are. This, th- th- that's the thing is this plant isn't poisoning you. It's yeah. literally showing you the, the truth, not your. And that's the writing I loved. I think it was in this one, the remake one. Yeah. Where it was, where the, not the remake, the sequel, where the plant, when it was narrating, was saying humans, they love the truth. 
They yeah. fight for the truth. They they need the truth, but they want their truth, not the truth. Yeah, the objective like, truth. Yep. I'm, I'm, I almost dropped my phone because that was. <laughs> and the idea that it would, that it would present you with that, you know, and present you with what you think would make you happy forever. But again, even in those scenarios, it wouldn't last. Uh, so that's why it's up to us to make our own scenarios real. Our deepest and darkest desires. Fears is one thing, you know. You get over fears in a bunch of different ways. But your desires, if you if you always wanted a certain job, if you always wanted to live in a certain place, if you've always wanted to do a certain activity, uh, there's sometimes we have those desires and we hide them from people out of out of fear of being embarrassed. And the idea that they would come out in a situation like this is even more embarrassing. So I think Clark is like disarm things like the Black Mercy by just doing the things you deeply desire without shame without fear just do them and the only way the best way to do them is to let people that are close to you know what they are he didn't want to tell lois about it because he thought it was a silly idea he thought he felt embarrassed and now he has a son because they were ever able to have a conversation about how much that meant to him how much family means to him it's 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 an incredible story all of them were incredible stories uh yeah do you have anything else to say about the issues 51 and 52 no, um, basically there were great sequels, great writing, uh, right. the whole monologue of the existential monologue of who are you if you're not this and what are your desires and are you wrong for wanting them? Yeah, it, 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 it went really it was a really good sequel to Moore's run. The reason why is because Moore is very novelized. He's he's very long winded with his writing. Like, it's, yeah, it's almost po- it, like we say it's poetry. So to be able to give us these long, like, thespian, Shakespearean monologues from a plant, and it, it, it narratively yeah, being a in plant. This, in, this, in those series of stories, the Black Mercy is a character. Very much a character. It's its own character. That's crazy. Like, a plant. <laughs> Out of control. Mercy. Other than that, I got nothing else. I, I think it was, it was, all of them, it was great. Yeah, Absolutely I, I loved it. I'm I'm happy that you were able to get on it. Um, and hopefully you'll tune into some more Supergirl in general. We'll we'll, we'll talk about that in the chats. Um, Batman week is next week, and we'll figure out what we're gonna cover uh for that this week. This was a bit of a late idea, but thank you so much for taking on uh this task. Once again, thank you for re- like every time you ask me to take on these comics and uh, that i don't know and storylines i don't know i just end up falling in love with new things that i didn't know i would love before dude and it fills in it fills in like these blanks right like the world starts to fill in a little bit the more you read the more you watch the more you're knowledgeable about about these things in comics little blanks start to fill themselves it's beautiful yeah if you if you would have you told me last week that i would have ended up saying i love this supergirl episode <laughs> right right I apropos, laughed. apropos of nothing, because you just said you didn't see any of it, any uh, anything else. No, so. and it, as, as far as like, and I could jump. The thing about about what was so great about them adapting this storyline is they managed to do it in a way where, I like just the mere genius dialogue is playing catch up for me with like um motivations, character arcs, and yeah. that's like I I know that. Alex didn't feel like, like didn't like having a sister growing up, and I know like 
the Kara and balancing her home life and uh, yeah, it has it has to reference the original story, but it also has to mean something to those who have been watching Supergirl. Yeah. So, but so it's really it, and and it's helping anybody that's jumping in late. What if somebody does yeah. jump late and just has to go back, but they catch that episode? That I thought that episode was perfect, perfect, perfect episode. Thank you for letting me get into well, that, all of this. Well, that's the thing, you know. Every any episode of of Supergirl could be somebody's first episode of Supergirl, just like any episode of this illustrious podcast could be somebody's first episode of this podcast. And if this is your first episode of the podcast, we want to thank you for listening all the way through. And if you are a long-time listener, we want to thank you too. Uh, You guys have been awesome. The support has been unreal for the Major Issues podcast. We're over 140 episodes in the bank. But if you want to go back and listen to some of our other ones, you can find every single episode on comicbookclick.com where we have... Articles written by members of the Click, all of our merchandise, and even many profiles about every single person that contributes to Comic Book Click. We're a family, and we wanted all of our stuff in one place, so you can find every episode of the Major Issues podcast on ComicBookClick.com. But if you already have a podcast app, you can find the Major Issues podcast wherever podcasts are found. That's Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Addict, the Apple Podcast app, the Google Podcast app, Spotify, YouTube, TuneFind, iHeart. We are wherever. The quickest way to find us is to go to Google and type in Major Issues Podcast. And we'll be the first ones to pop right up. Because we're always talking about the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. Uh, I guess we talk about social media. Speaking of talk about media, you can reach us and comment on every single one of these episodes. Talk to us. Let us know what you think about the whole history of the black mercy maybe if you read that green lantern run let me know should i be getting into it should i find out what's going on with that uh reach us by going to facebook.com slash comic book click instagram at comic book click or use the hashtag comic book click to talk about the newest hottest latest and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media well i'm also at major issue cbc on twitter dan i think is dan cbc the comic book man what is it for for instagram it's dan's comics cbc dan's comics cbc follow him on instagram he's always updating people with what we're doing here as part of the podcast uh and all of our um social medias are talking about what we're doing as part of of comic book click memes jokes conversations uh it's it's all there news it's all breaking there as part of all the social media that is comic book click if you can leave us a review it's the quickest way for us to grow as podcasters and find out what you like and what you don't like. And it's the quickest way for us to grow our audience because the higher the review, the more our podcast will be recommended to other people. And if they're recommended to other people, we're just going to grow the click. And I've been to the future where we do become the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest thing to come to comic books and comic book media. But I can't tell you how I how we do it. It's kind of a Black Mercy situation. you got to follow me and we're going to get to that future. You understand? Uh, so get on the bandwagon before the bandwagon ends up getting full. Like, share, and subscribe. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And join us here next week for the Major Issues Podcast where we'll be tackling something Batman. Uh, another reason why I wanted to tackle this is Superman between this, fandom, a bunch of other stuff going on, and getting a lot of love. So I definitely wanted to tackle some Superman stuff. But yep, back to the Dark Knight next week. Uh, my name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. I am Dan, the comic book man. And this has been our special episode of the podcast for the podcast who has everything. And remember, whether or not you know what you truly want in life, remember never to be embarrassed by your dreams. Remember, you can make the change you want in your life. And remember, 
especially today, you, yes, you are worthy.